Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Welcome back, folks, to the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ, broadcasting live from the Planet Kia Studios, the best place on the planet to buy a car. Visit them on East Independence or online at planetkianc.com. I'm Walker Mail. It is time for a little bit of Panthers Rank Radio. Oh, okay. Little rank. We've been doing a lot of rank radio segments. It's silly season, baby. <laughs> Where does rank radio rank on your favorite segments to do on the radio? I mean, I like it a lot because it gives you a chance to break down guys and where you think they fit and things of that nature. I have embraced rank radio a lot in my life. <laughs> I thought I was the biggest fan until I met Wes Bryant. Because <laughs> Wes Bryant will bring you a top 10 list. He will bring you a top 20, 25, 30 list. He will give you who is the second ranked rookie cornerback in this particular division. So I think I found my match, to be honest with you, Fitty. Yeah, man. I think uh, it's pretty cool. And so now we're going <laughs> to talk about Iki Aquano in another list. What does he rank? a lot of lists. He is ranked number eight on Adam Shine's top riser of 2023 list. And so his write-up about him is very similar to a lot of other people. He's just talking about his potential. Uh, he said, I love the Panthers' new coaching staff. Frank Reich is a gem. Offensive staff is experienced and filled with high-character teachers. This is not only a godsend to rookie quarterback Bryce Young, but also to the man tasked with protecting the number one pick. Talked about how he went a 10-game stretch without giving up a sack. Said he has the tenacity and tools to become a star on the blind side. So, with that said, do we think that he could be a top five tackle by the season's end? Because a lot of people like his potential. A lot of people love what he brings to the table. And so when you look at some of the young tackles that are in this discussion right now, there's Rashawn Slater at nine, according to PFF anyway. Tristan Wirfs is considered in that. We talked about Christian Darisaw earlier and uh, Andrew Thomas. So Laramie Tunsil is still relatively young, but when you talk about young, young guys that Icky can perhaps get on their level this season, those are the names. Do you think that it's attainable? For him to just be a top five overall tackle in the league at the end of this year, I don't think that's attainable this season. I think there's a lot uh -huh. of top five. If we're just going, are we just going left tackles here too? Because just overall tackle, man. Yeah. I mean, that's just going to be too hard. And you know what? It's totally okay if he's not top five, but Trent Williams, an absolute monster hall of fame, offensive tackle Lane Johnson, probably another hall of famer. When you are manning the right side of the Philadelphia Eagles offensive line, that has been among the best units that we've seen. Certainly in the past couple of decades, Laramie Tunsil, Top pick. Only reason it fell is because he had a marijuana gas mask on draft night and he <laughs> fell to 13. Laramie Tunsil, very good. How about Andrew Thomas? Andrew Thomas, what's great about him is that he did not have a, a good rookie season, but he has built on it fantastically so. Now he's a stalwart, going to be one of the higher paid guys. I don't think he's gotten any of those contracts. And then when you just want to go to the mix and matches, maybe it's 
Christian Derisaw. Maybe it's Tristan Wirfs. Maybe it's Jordan Mailata. Maybe it's Colton Miller, who's also a first-round pick. Rashawn Slater, remember, this is someone that got hurt and missed the entire season. I, I love Ike Aquanu. I think he's going to take a big step up, and maybe he can be top five a little bit further down the line. You are dealing with a lot of studs over on the left and right side, especially if we're just going on both. If we're doing both of the bookend tackles, yeah, man, it's going to be too hard for me to see him as a top five guy and would love to be proven wrong. Yeah, and I think, too, I I beg the question, could he be at a minimum the best young tackle in the game? I'm with you. I think he can go a long way in determining that because when you talk about Andrew Thomas, he ascended to this spot in his third year where he's the third overall rated tackle, according to PFF. So I would say that Icky could... Uh, get up into that top 10 when you talk about 10, 9 range. I think that's attainable, certainly. Top 5, though, is going to be difficult because it's progression. He's in a new offense. And, again, there are still going to be some things he's going to have to learn. His offensive line coach talked about how he had to get a lot of the NC State out of him, a lot of things that they were doing uh, with the jump sets and some of the things that he had to get him acclimated to the pro game when you're talking about more traditional pass set drops and things of that nature. He's going to have a full training camp. Uh, So I think he'll have an opportunity to rise in the rankings. Uh, When you look at the Panthers' schedule down the line and you want to say, okay, well, how many defensive ends is he going to go up against where he has the opportunity to be able to do that? Well, you know, in his division, he's got those guys. Outside of that, not a ton of ginormous challenges where he can really make statements. I mean, obviously good defenses on the schedule. But when you talk about Dallas, him getting to go up against uh, Micah Parsons, uh, that's going to be a good matchup for him as well. Miami's got Bradley Chubb. So there are a few instances where he can stake his claim, but I do think it will be tough for him to be able to do so. I think the better the Panthers get, the better the schedule get, the tougher the defensive ends he goes against, then he can really start to make his claim. But he's a first-round pick, sixth overall, has all the talent in the world. Clearly, we know about the motor because it was the most fun offensive line tape to evaluate from anybody that was an NFL draft expert. They would say how much they loved watching Icky compared to a Charles Cross because there's just so many pass uh, snaps, pass protection snaps that Charles Cross is going through in a Mike Leach system. And then even with Evan Neal, he was more of your prototypical left tackle body than Icky was where you knew that he was going to be a good he was going to play tackle at the next level, but also just a mauler could also have that versatility bring him to the guard position if you thought that was something possible for him and now he's here on the outside and this is this is the best thing about Carolina selecting Icky it's the fact that you had your pick of all three of them and it almost provides more pressure it kind of reminds me of this NBA draft conversation where so many people would rather just have the third overall pick the decision between Scoot and Brandon, it's just too hard. Give me the third overall selection and we'll take whoever the leftover is so we're not tasked with having to live with our decision on draft night. Carolina did. And you're talking about three offensive linemen that easily could have been a p- the pick there. First season, Icky seems to be the right guy right now. Those other guys could take big jumps, but right now, Icky played really well. I'm excited to see what he's going to do. And maybe third year, he could be a top five tackle in the league if everything goes well. All right, a guy a couple of spots down from him, Bradley Bozeman, PFF came out with their top centers list. He was rated number 17. Is that respect or disrespect? Oh, I think it's fine because pass protection can sometimes be an issue for him. And we saw that last year. 
his rushing, his run blocking is considered significantly better than what his pass blocking is. So somebody wrote in, 803 number wrote in, that Frank Reich had a dominant offensive line most of the Colts' tenure. They suffered some injuries, and so it suffered last year. Matt Ryan could tell you that for sure during his lone year with the Colts. And 803 said they think he can really bring out the best in that offensive line unit, especially if it's um, a Kaplan coming back. Um, not sure about Kaplan, but we do know that you also or Campen, maybe is that's what he means. Yes. James Campen having that offensive line coach here, along with Frank Reich, who values a good offensive line. I think that's why we all welcomed the Bradley Bozeman signing so much. It's that he's a really good run blocker. Hopefully the pass blocking can come along strongly too. You have a great offensive line. You have continuity. Continuity matters a lot, in my opinion, up front. So I don't think it's any sort of huge disrespect. I still think I, I value Bradley Bozeman up front and you can't have Taylor Moten be one of the top right tackles in the league. Icky be one of the top left tackles in the league. Bradley Bozeman be one of the top centers in the league, right? Like it's okay to have somebody that is average, maybe above average, at least with this PFF list. So no, I don't find it as any kind of form of disrespect. Yeah. I mean, I don't either. You look at, he gave up two sacks and pass protection last year, nine hurries and one hit. I mean, that's a pretty good, uh, set of numbers there when you talk about it and only four didn't penalties on the for, season didn't well. start for a while because remember they had pat Elfline and then they brought him uh-huh. in and then also got hurt i believe he missed some time maybe i'm mistaken on that but i know that at the beginning of the season it was Elfline. yeah only four penalties the play kind of trailed off towards the end of the season but i don't think that this is disrespect at all i think it's this is about uh apropos for him so uh but i still think though uh, he's he's inching near the top half so not not too bad for him. And they said he's had four consecutive seasons with a 63-plus uh, grade. And so to uh, finish things up with the rank radio, uh, in that same list where Iki Aquano was rated as a number eight breakout candidate or uh, top riser, DJ Moore was ranked in this list at number six. So how high do you think DJ flies in shot time? It's all about Justin Fields. DJ Moore can produce even with quarterbacks that are well below average. The only thing that's ever held him back is Baker Mayfield. And he still was able to amass close to 900 yards in that offense before one. It was Sam Darnold who started hooking up with DJ a lot more in the last 75% of the season. And they were a running offense. This is a team that, especially when Steve Wilkes took over, they finally committed to running the football. It doesn't matter whether you want DJ Moore to be a deep threat. He can give you 1,100 yards that way. doesn't matter if you want him to be a possession receiver. He'll give you 1,100 yards that way. The best quarterback he's played with is, is it Sam? Is it Teddy Bridgewater? Probably Teddy Bridgewater. So can Justin Fields take a big leap as a passing QB and... Hopefully the Chicago Bears are well improved enough to the point where that offense isn't going to be among the worst in the league. Yeah, DJ Moore, if this is someone that's shown that he can produce in a lot of different examples and scenarios, I expect him to produce here as well. Yeah, I think so too. And I think he has a chance to really have a career year perhaps because I think Justin Fields has been waiting on that number one target to arrive. He's going to have a fairly solid group of receivers around him as well. Uh, Chase Claypool, I still think there's something there. Darnell Mooney proved a couple of years ago. He's pretty good for me fantasy, too. He was a, a waiver pickup. But anyway, I think he has a pretty good group around him. I think if that offensive line can hold up, I think Justin Fields is a guy that's 
definitely one of my top breakout candidates for this season as far as passing is concerned. I know his pedigree as a passer, and he's really up there. So I think now he has a uh, a fairly solid number one receiver, and I think he has a chance to elevate to that next level in that Chicago offense. He's going to feed him the ball. I know the fans up there are very excited about what he can bring for them. So I think his potential to be a guy that rises is very high. And plus, he's not going to have to deal with nobody coaching him up on routes, at least according to Tommy Trimble. <laughs> did you see this quote? I did not. All right. So Mike Kay wrote an article, a part of the Charlotte Observer. I heard Kyle Bailey talking about this yesterday. And Tommy Trimble was discussing the new regime, the new offensive system. Frank Reich, no more Matt Rule. You have Thomas Brown as the offensive coordinator. No more Ben McAdoo. Here's what Tommy Trimble talked about. He said, quote, this is really the first time that we've really been coached up receiving wise other than us trying to figure it out on our own. Dang. He said, so having that kind of blocking, that kind of support from all over the coaching staff to the players themselves, I think it's been a world of difference and that our accelerating of the receiving game has been. He talked about how this is really the first opportunity you've had to excel in the receiving game, as we mentioned. And then last thing he said before it was more you run it, you run what's on paper and you try to make it work. And if it did not work, you try to figure it out yourself. That's not happening with this new regime yeah, man. I, I Kyle covered a lot of this at the beginning of his show yesterday. It's such a big indictment on on Matt Rule and the tenure that he had here with Carolina. If this was the only thing that we heard about that coaching tenure, then maybe you wouldn't take it as strong as I am. But we remember Teddy Bridgewater after he left the organization and he was discussing how we didn't really run a whole lot of two minute offense. We didn't really work on red zone all that much. And I think that was on the I Am Athlete podcast. Is that right? At the time, it was with Brandon Marshall. I believe they were talking about that. And Brandon was like, yo, we used to work on that every single day. We did situational stuff every single day. What people did was they blamed Joe Brady a lot for that because he was a young offensive coordinator. He didn't know what he was doing. That's what everybody was rolling with. And Matt Rule used him as a scapegoat, too. And then the whole story came out. Well, he was out of the building and then when he and then he got fired when he came back and he couldn't fire him earlier because he was out of the building. If you don't like Joe Brady, fine. That's fine. But a lot of that was on Matt Rule and even some of those stories came out afterwards that Matt Rule spun it in a way that it was all Joe Brady's fault that he was out of the building and that's why you couldn't fire him. You're the head coach. Run the drills you want to run, dog. Like you're the head coach. You get to choose what you work on. So when everybody was blaming Joe Brady at that time, if you have a problem with the play calling, okay, Joe Brady is doing that. But if you have a problem with the way they're conducting practice, that ain't Joe Brady. That's Matt Rule. And here's another example from Tommy Trimble, who Wes, it doesn't seem like there's any vitriol coming from this. He's not throwing some tantrum. Oh, thank God. Thank God Matt Rule's gone. He's just giving you a matter of fact. We didn't work on the receiving game as much. And you know what? The tight end production or lack thereof over the last couple of years, it really shows it. Yeah, and I think what's interesting about this now is that I think it puts a puts an onus on the tight ends to come out and produce, especially Tommy Trimble. When you come out with comments like this, just looking at it from one perspective, now you need to produce because we know that it's been said that Frank Reich's offense is very favorable to tight ends, and so we are expecting the tight ends to be a lot more productive Running this routes. year. Running routes, imagine that. Exactly. Working That's what I'm saying. Yeah, so hopefully crazy. he has a good year to back up this talk because if he comes out this season and doesn't do much, people are going to be asking him, well, you know, what's the problem now? You're not or at least coached? take a step. 
Because anything yeah. would be more productive than what we've seen from Ian Thomas. What we've seen, yeah, it was Ian Thomas the last year of Rivera, right? The last year of Rivera where we saw any kind of production when Greg Olson went down. I have to look that up. But, yeah, clearly the tight end position suffered with Matt Rule. So when we come back, we are marching on in the 2 o'clock hour. The campus corner is right around the corner on the Weston Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Weston Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Hit us up on the WFNZ text line 704-570-9610 and hit us up on those socials. We got plenty of good content coming at you all day long, but especially from Weston Walker. We're taking you behind the scenes on the WFNZ Twitter and Instagram, the Weston Walker Twitter, HTB underscore Josh on Twitter and Instagram, Walker Mail on Twitter, and Bryant underscore 72 on Twitter and Instagram. So we always got all kinds of good content for you and more good content coming in this segment right here because it is time for the campus. Kona. All right. Charlotte 49ers, Ron Sanchez steps down. Walker Mail, you are the resident Charlotte alum here. Who are the head coaching candidates? that they should consider going after. Well, uh, we have this report from Will Kunkel. Quote, per sources, Charlotte would be able to pay Isaac Brown, a potential candidate here, who was uh, the ASA, uh, excuse me, the AAC Coach of the Year for Wichita State in 2021, as Wichita State would win the league. They'd be able to pay Isaac Brown pennies on the dollar because Wichita State would pay the difference as part of his buyout, and basically Charlotte would be able to get a proven AAC champion on sale due to the previous contract. Remember, this is kind of how this worked out for Biff Pogey too, right? If you're talking about trying to get someone with a proven track record or a winning record because he did go 48 and 34 with the Shockers and they made the NCAA tournament. So if you have somebody that has a winning record and they're able to take a little less money like you got with Biff Pogey because the dude was on Wall Street, millionaire, created his own high school to have a dominant high school football team, that would make a lot of sense based on what they did with the football hire. Yeah, so I think that uh, I think the timing of Sanchez leaving leaves them in a little bit of a tough spot as far it's just a lot of the head coaching candidates that maybe they would have gotten have been taken up. What what did you think about the Tottenham, and do you think Charlotte is still an attractive job? Well, and I put this out there, too. A lot of people were discussing the timing and having that be some indictment on the Charlotte 49ers athletic program. It's not in a great spot when it comes to football or basketball right now. I think football is on the way up. I really like the Biff Pogey hire, but ultimately got to win games. With basketball, it is really hard. That is the task at hand, keeping transfers 
on your roster rather than just losing all the talented guys through the portal. But I more so see it as there is always going to be talented coaches out there anyway, right? There are plenty of coaches that did not get jobs on this open market, and so maybe there are still talented enough dudes to go after, in, even if it's a little bit later. I know it's still hard. It's not the ideal of, of situations, but it makes a lot of sense to me that Ron Sanchez would leave when you have an associate head coaching opportunity with your guy and Tony Bennett, someone that you spent so long with on the recruiting trails with, and it's at a program like Virginia, which maybe they'll win a championship or get beat in the first round, but winning a championship is still a big deal and being a good ACC team is a big deal. So I understand why Ron Sanchez, while he was still on his own terms, would get out of Dodge before he got fired because it's not like the job security was great over there. So he leaves and this is just the way that the cookie crumbles for Mike Hill trying to figure someone out. I would like to throw one other candidate out there. Okay. About Bart Lundy. Going over to Milwaukee. Yeah, I looked at you, Finney. Come on. Let's get on the Bart Lundy train. I have an affinity for Bart Lundy because he coached at Queens. I call Queens games, and I've been doing that for the last four years. Bart Lundy is a phenomenal coach. And you see him go to Milwaukee last season after getting a bag to go to Division One, his first season with Milwaukee, 22-12. and 12. Winning record. At Queens, got 30 wins every single season. What do you think, Finney? Do you like that name I'm floating about? I was just looking up into the imaginary Raptors here in the studio and seeing <laughs> that brand of basketball at Halton Arena. I'd have to embrace Analytics a little bit more because I know he's all in on, on, on that side of, of the game. But you're talking about a guy that has won in the city before at a much harder place to win at a, at a different level to win. It wouldn't it wouldn't get the attention of a lot of Charlotte 49ers fans, I don't think. I, I Maybe, but for me, I think a lot of people would look at somebody in town. They were having a lot of success, and they're like, oh, wait, why aren't we doing that here in Charlotte? Yeah, I mean, you would be able to be the sounding board to say, look, because you know the guy, you've seen the program that he's built, what Grant Leonard continued on this year at Queens as they transitioned to D1 and stuff like that. It definitely would not be the worst hire they could make. Oh, no. I, I mean, I would definitely embrace it. I'd, I'd, I'd buy season tickets. Oh, I'd love it, man. That'd I'm, be sweet. I was contacted yesterday also by a uh, former great from the city of Charlotte, Dustin Gray, the head coach of Western Carolina right now. It took them from 11 and 21 to you said 18 Justin and Gray? 16. Yes. And he uh, asked me about uh, the job as well. So I don't know if he'll try to throw his hat in and maybe – if he's ready it's a big yet time for that type of job. Wes, hold on. Say it with your chest a little bit. What happened? Yeah, Talk he hit us. me up. He said, what about the Charlotte job? Justin uh, Gray. Justin Gray, former West Charlotte, great okay. former Wake Forest, great that played with CP3, asked about the Charlotte job and what might uh, be going on there. I mean, that's a decent-sized deal. You just, I mean, yeah, that's interesting. So Justin Gray He's got his name in the fold. We'll see if Mike Hill or Charlotte actually would be interested in that. But that would be cool to have somebody that played alongside Chris Paul play at Wake Forest. At least a familiar name. I yeah. don't know if it would be a big enough splash that Charlotte fans would be 100% welcoming. Sure. Because we do want something. It's at you got to swing for the fences right. this time. But we'll see. No doubt about it. Um, did you see the 857 text? No, I did not. Pat Kelsey, the College of Charleston. I'm, I'm going to tell right. you right now. Yeah. It's a good name. Because this guy should have be already be at a bigger job. He's a Power 5 Division One college basketball head coach. I would probably come into the studio shirtless. <laughs> I think, though, and 
Don't you think like that's a lateral move from College of Charleston to Charlotte? No. God, no. I don't know about that. College of Charleston's a pretty good program now, and not. This, but even if they not a better conference, even when they're really good, they're still about on par with Charlotte to me, like in my eyes. Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know about the resources. The NIL collective is interesting, and again, the, the the important thing here too is the fact that you might be wanting to hire a coach on some kind of discount. Is there a coach that is willing to take that? Because that is the report around Isaac Brown. That was what was reported with Biff Pogey, who already had millions of dollars to his name. He can just donate to the, the the basketball fund. I would love it, but you're but you're not wrong to bring him up, man. That Pat no. Kelsey, it would. <laughs> what are you going to argue with? The I'm, guy I, wins wherever he goes. You know, I mean, Mike Hill told us one of the reasons he took the job was to restore Charlotte basketball. Mm-hmm. That guy's won at Winthrop. That guy's won at Charleston. Why would you not think he would not win at Charlotte? He would. I yeah, think exactly. so. Exactly. Yeah, his it track take record. Him three years to have him in the tournament. Three. It'd be exciting. All right, so on three put out their top five Heisman Trophy contenders from the ACC. Plus, a Notre Dame, number one was Drake May. Number two was Jordan Travis. Number three was Sam Hartman. Number four was Cade Klubnick. And number five was Will Shipley. So, do we think this is how it should be? Does this list make sense to you? I think it makes sense for me. I have no problem with this. Riley Leonard is someone that you could possibly put in over a Will Shipley. I would not put him over a Cade Klubnick. I know you might do that. I don't know how you feel about Sam Hartman because these were ACC Heisman hopefuls and Sam Hartman included alongside Notre Dame, just to make that clear. I have no problem with this. It seems pretty status quo for you too, right, Wes? Yeah, I think so. Um, Yeah, because, I mean, I'd put Sam Hartman over Cade Klubnick. Will Shipley... I don't know that he'll have the guardy numbers that it would take for a running back to be able to get it. But when you look over the landscape of the conference, now I think as far as statistically and how they play, you know the quarterback that I like better than uh, any of these guys on the list except for uh, Drake May. But I said his name. That's right, Riley Leonard. But other than that, <laughs> I think that um, just the, the Duke football stigma and their record may not quite be on par with these guys to be able to get up in there. But other than that, there are going to have to be some emerging stars this season that's going to come up because you look at the top skill positions that win the Heisman, mainly running back and wide receiver. I don't see the ACC having any of those guys enlisted at the moment uh, that could do that. So I think this is pretty good. So how would a Heisman winner from the ACC change the perception of this conference? Because ACC hasn't won a Heisman since Lamar Jackson. And then we know at that same time, uh, Deshaun Watson was right in there as well as a top three to four finisher two consecutive seasons. I think it actually would change it a little bit because when you have the best player in college football and all eyes are on you because everybody gets down for the Heisman winner. Everybody wants to pay attention and see who is going to take home what is given to the best college football player that season. It's why North Carolina got on the map. It's why you do see these articles written about one individual player, such as Drake May, Andrea Adelson, putting out that out there on ESPN.com. You're getting a lot of eyeballs. It's why this guy in Drake May has a little bit of power to choose who his offensive coordinator is going to be because you want the Heisman winner to put your team on the map and see if you can get to the college football playoff. Yeah, the ACC, when I went up the escalators at the hotel here in Charlotte, what is it? The Sher- it's the, the, the Sheraton. The Weston, thank you. I was thinking yeah. Sheraton. When you go up there for ACC Media Days, you know it, was quite the event. A lot of fun every single summer. Mm-hmm. So when you go up there and the escalators bring you up and then you see the display, 
that 2017 year when you had the championship trophy and the Heisman trophy because Clemson won the chip and Lamar won the Heisman, they were proud of that thing. Oh, yeah. And I wonder if that if that happens, right? Could you have some similar thing where, yeah, I know not a lot of people are high on Clemson to the fact that they'd beat Ohio State or Alabama, but if you have at least one of those pieces of hardware, it would go a long way in restoring some kind of image for them. Yeah, I think it would, too. I mean, anytime you win an award as prestigious as the Heisman, it's definitely going to help. There's no uh, question about that. I think Drake May is the biggest contender that they'll have. And so his early season to midseason is going to go a long way in determining uh, if that is going to happen because some of the other contenders, I just don't know that they'll be able to have the consistency and those gaudy numbers. But talking about one, Drake May. So his struggles in the final four games of last season where he started the year off first 10 games, Carolina was 9-1, 39 TDR. He had to three interceptions. Final four games, only six TDR and an 0-4 record uh, for the Heels. And so they talked about how the offensive line struggles, Drake May drifting into sacks. Final six games, teams blitzed 36% of the time compared to 30% in the first eight games. And their scoring went from 41.2 points per game in the first eight to 24.7 over the last six. Do we feel like that his struggles in the final four games were more of an indictment on Drake May as the player? or on the North Carolina coaching staff. I think the legitimate criticism for Drake May is the fact that he took too many sacks. He, I don't think, exacerbated a bad offensive line, but he certainly didn't help him out at times, holding on to the football too long. But when, when you talk about quarterbacks that hold on to the football too long, a lot of it is because they have so much confidence in themselves to make a play. Sure. And when you do that and making that transition from college football to the NFL, it can be a lot more problematic. But yeah, I don't... I don't love what Phil Longo was as an OC for North Carolina. I know they had good offenses there, but also, are we going to put the praise on the coaching staff? Are we going to put the praise on Sam Howell being among the best quarterbacks that North Carolina's ever had, transitioning into Drake May, the best season we've ever seen from a North Carolina quarterback before? So now that you're moving on to Chip Lindsey, and if you look at NFL draft experts too, they didn't love the Phil Longo offense. So now that you're moving to a Chip Lindsey, maybe that lends itself a little bit more to what Drake May does well. And you mentioned it in the interview with Andrea Adelson. It feels a little bit like an admittance on the coaching staff's part to where they were taking the responsibility as to why his production fell off. Yeah, because they went out and pretty much over half overhauled a lot of the main positions on that offensive staff But when you talk about bringing in Tip Lindsay, as you said, they bring in Freddie Kitchens from the Browns for the run game, Clyde Christensen from Tampa Bay, who was an offensive analyst. So he was working with the GOAT. Well, Clyde Christensen was also a longtime QB coach in the NFL. Right. He's worked with a lot of of great players because you're talking about them missing Antoine Green and Josh Downs into Tez Walker and Nate McCollum, a couple of transfers, one coming uh, from Georgia Tech. Uh, and then also he has some good tight ends in Kamari Morales and Bryson Nesbitt, but they've got to find a running game uh, for this guy as well. The offensive linemen are walking around, like Andrea said, wearing shirts that said, uh, let's run the dang ball because they also want to take some of the load off of Drake May to help him to take some of that punishment off of him. But, Fiddy, what do you think as well? Do you think this was an indictment on the coaching staff, the changes that were made, or do you think the struggles down the stretch had more to do with Drake May and his play? I mean, I I think some of it was coaching. I'm not going to bash Phil Longo's offense because his offense has always produced uh, yards and points. And the only reason why 
they've been competitive the, the way they've been since Mac Brown came back. To me, this was a player thing. Like, your offensive line couldn't block below-average defensive linemen like Georgia Tech. Your wide receivers quit getting separation consistently for him to throw them open. And, it, it, you know, that, that, that type of stuff, like, it, it just compresses and it compacts. And their season changed when Josh Downs dropped that touchdown against Georgia Tech. I think yeah. if he catches that ball, they go on to win the game. I'm not saying they win an ACC title or any of that stuff, but I don't think they finish – with four straight losses and all the questions and concerns are around the program. All right. Well, that's that's a good observation, too. I can get down with that. I think momentum plays a huge part in team seasons, and I think when they did lose that game, that was a big shocker for them that they never quite recovered from. So let's see if we can recover from the last Fitty Flash of the day. It's all right to be a little Fitty. A little hometown or a big old city. Might as well share, might as well smile. All right, guys, we'll, we'll, we'll get right back to the Panthers here really quickly. We talked about this earlier in the week, but Dalvin Cook did officially get released this morning by the Minnesota Vikings. I know Miami has come out as one of the favorites to to get to, uh, to land his services. Do you think Carolina gets involved at all with Dalvin Cook, or do you think they'll pass on the the running back? Um, I think that Dalvin's going to go to Miami. I think he's looking at that team as a team on the rise. It's home for him. He's going to have a light box to play with down there in Miami. When you talk about those speed merchants they have out there, the fastest wide receiver duo I've probably seen in my lifetime. So if I'm Dalvin Cook, I would probably head down to South Beach, not to mention the quality of living. Mm -mm -mm. But if the Panthers are the second most cap room out there right now, I think it's still over $27 million. Maybe if they make the bag right, they might be able to get him. I don't want Dalvin Cook. I want Miles Sanders <laughs> to be the guy that is the lead back. It doesn't mean that I don't like him. I love Dalvin Cook as a running back. I think he's very good. I think he's better than Miles Sanders. But if you're going to pay somebody a decent amount of money, because he's not going to sign for anything crazy small, right? It's why he's not restructuring any kind of contract with Minnesota, and Minnesota decides to move on from him. So if he's not going to sign for any small contract, Carolina would only give him a smaller contract unless you have a lot of money put into a Miles Sanders and a Dalvin Cook. One of those guys isn't going to get the ball, and it's not like a receiver where you have multiple options for your quarterback to throw to. One guy is going to be over there on the sideline making a lot of money, and you can't put two running backs in the backfield all the time. I just, yeah, I don't think they're going to go after him. Even if we could argue about this, whether they should or not, I don't think Dalvin's going to want to come to Carolina. All right. Well, when we come back, we close this thing down. This is the Wesson Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Final segment of Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. We're still looking for a last segment after we retired on this day in sports history with Josh Fitty Marlowe. Maybe this is where we deploy strong take or strong toke. <laughs> That's the one that Salty Pirate helped us out with. So maybe we can roll with that one a little bit later on. What you got, Fitty? All right. So 
because I, I was mentioning this morning, maybe we do like a closing argument, final thoughts, final take. And I went to the sports reporters as I, that's how that show would end. And you said, and I quote, yeah, you like that show. Wow. That surprises me. It did. I'm surprised. Why does, that, that was that was good television. That was when ESPN was actually a watchable network. John Saunders, RIP, one of the best Saunders, to ever do it. My man. Mike yeah. Lupica. Great Mitch, author. Mitch Album. Yep. Oh, yeah. Legendary dudes up there. I guess it was a little bit of judging on my part. Yeah, why do you think <laughs> I would not enjoy such a television show? Oh, because Don LaGreca is your radio god. It's not exactly the Mitch album of radio host. Have you listened to Don LaGreca? There's <laughs> yeah. a reason I want to follow in his footsteps. The guy is fantastic at his job. Uh, look, honestly, and you know what? I embrace everything that LaGreca is because in radio, you got to be who you are, man. And it's tough sometimes. And that's LaGreca. Yeah. What is the all time rant that he went on? And I loved every bit of it. It was Craypool. Is that it? There's so many, though, I yeah, guess. Yeah, that's when he's talking about the only. Like, that's the only player that the Mets ever drafted, developed, and he spent his entire career. He goes on. <laughs> no, it's over a caller, right? I think it was on oh, a he's got he's got many. He's got many rants. Yeah, I'm looking up on YouTube. Don LaGreca, best rants, and there's a part two. <laughs> <laughs> that's the first one that pops up. Yeah, the first one is Don LaGreca unleashes epic rant on caller over Joey Gallo. And yes. then there's a best rants part two. Of course, the best rants part one, Don LaGreca butts heads with Vinny from Staten Island. Yeah, he and the callers. Name a more iconic <laughs> I bet that beef. was pretty good. That is a great beef between both of those. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a guy that will literally tell people after they call their, their show to never call again because it's not worth their time. Don LaGreca or Mike <laughs> Van Gundy, better rant. Because Mike Van Gundy's got the I'm a man, I'm 40 rant on the podium. I, I'll take any of LaGreca's, though, over that. LaGreca just gets so mad at people. I'm a man. Mm -hmm. I'm 40. He could do LaGreca's come job, after though. Me. Yeah, he did say come after me. You like you listen to them all the time, Michael K and LaGreca. That is that is who is the uh the soup of the year for you. Mm -hmm. I, I don't I don't want to paint a picture that you move on like you do from the Cowboys to the Jets every <laughs> single day. But you do have some guys that you'll really start to listen to and Michael K and Don LaGreca is your uh soup of the year. Well, I mean, you know, like radio, you 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 steal from others, you study others. So that's what I do. And I mean, they talk about the teams that I support, mainly the Mets, mm -hmm. the Knicks, my adopted Jets in the AF. FC. I was trying to get into hockey, so they talk a lot of hockey. Oh, yeah. You know, Wes has his YouTube guys, and I've got some guys on an ESPN show up in uh, up in New York. Yeah, I said Van Gundy, by the way. Thank you, Jeffrey, from Concord. I've been watching the finals too much, so I just had to throw a van in there. Dude. Mike Van Gundy. Dude, because Jeff's been on one. Well, he had. Uh, <laughs> what yes. did he say last night? There was like four times Mark Jackson said, what are you doing? Mark Jackson legitimately made me laugh last night. And it was, I was like, wait, Mark Jackson just did that? I He said something about they were discussing some of the better players or whatever in, in NBA history. And then for <laughs> some reason, it got to a point where Mark Jackson joked about kicking Jeff Van Gundy off the broadcast. Yeah, because he, uh, he said they used to do two-man television. Crews. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and Mike Breed was laughing. He had a hard time for about five seconds getting through play-by-play -play because Mark Jackson came in. And it was quick, too. It was real quick for Mark Jackson. You know what annoys me is how bad ESPN's pre- and post-game shows are. 
with how good their in-game commentary is with Breen, Van Gundy, and, and Mark Jackson. I was thinking about some of the NBA studio shows because inside the NBA, that's considered the GOAT. Yeah. You do have some kind of war of people that want actual information on the subject and people who just want the entertainment because Shaq, Chuck, Kenny... Kenny Smith will run to the touchscreen and the display every now and then, but it's not like those guys are giving you in-game, in-depth analysis. I think Kenny does, though. I don't. Not like that. Not. I don't, I don't no, I disagree. Kenny's the only one. I will say it. It's in one segment where Shaq and Kenny will run to the backboard and figure out who can, you know, win the race. And then if Kenny wins, which is most of the time, then he'll give you the in-depth analysis. But you're not really getting that. I, I guess my point is, though, mm-hmm. ESPN's not giving you enough of that to win that battle over the entertainment factor. And yeah. those guys on TNT are entertaining. Yes, for sure. And there's nobody as good a host as Ernie Johnson, right? No. Like I, I love Mike Greenberg, but he doesn't hold a candle He's got to the Ernie. voice. He's got the charisma, the humor. Like, Ernie has it all. Mm-hmm. Um, 704-570-9610. Feel free to write a few texts in as we try to figure out the last segment. <laughs> what you got, Fiddy? What are you laughing at? The, the texter texted in what brought up the argument. Because uh-huh. he said, oh, if, that's if you right, make yeah. the foul shots, you should count it as an assist. That was the issue. That's right. Thank you, 704. I actually yes. agree with that, though. We got a nice little debate here at the end of Weston Walker. If you get fouled, but you make both of your free throws on an assist opportunity, should that count as an assist? Because right now it doesn't. Do you think Do you think that? Because Jeff Van Gundy does. I guess call me a traditionalist. I say no. Well, that's what Mark Jackson said it shouldn't. And then and Jeff Van Gundy was arguing that it was. Why do you think it should Because the foul stopped the play from completion. What do you think, Fiddy? Yeah, I mean, because I, I just feel like, A, it'd be a way to award passing. And, you, you know, I'm a big guy that, that values or values ball movement and stuff like that. And, I mean, look, it's, it's, <laughs> it's, it's a different era. The NBA has changed a lot. We can change the way we, we stat things. Yeah, I, I will argue that I, I don't know if, if a good argument is just because we've done it this entire time. That is not evidence enough for me to say, oh, okay, well, then just we'll roll with it. But you are right that it does stop the play from completion. And plus, people... You want to talk about something that might be a little rigged? I'll give you something a little rigged. Home cooking, or even just if there are stat accomplishments on the horizon, people will get a little iffy with their assists and how they tally those out. Because Nikola Jokic, on his 10th assist, it was two dribbles by Jamal Murray on a dribble handoff. Not a dribble handoff, but just a handoff to Jamal. Hits the shot, Nikola Jokic gets his 10th assist. And I was looking, I was like, wait, are they going to count that? And it took a little time. It was it was very much baseball-like where, okay, is the no-hitter done? Is that an error? Or are they really going to call that a hit? Because I guess technically no one touched it. And sure enough, they gave him the assist. And it's like, yeah, that's a little wonky. You can go either way on some of the assists and how they are attributed to people. Mm. Yeah, I think if you were to, because it, it, like I said, in my mind, you make the pass. The guy goes up for the shot. It would have been an assist, but it was stopped because of the foul. You're awarded two shots because of said foul, but the play, the assist was not completed because the play was broken up. Yeah, and it doesn't mean that it was going to go in anyway. There's a lot of assuming if you just go ahead yeah, and give on the two free throws. I think I'm okay with it not happening. If you Especially hit one, would it the, count, or you have to make two is what you're saying? Yeah. If you got to make them both. Yeah, yeah you got to make them both. Yeah, right. Wow. If, and, and that's how our high school, when they were keeping stats, that's how we would do it sometimes. Okay, let's just add fractions. You get a half an assist. 
Oh, I like that. Point Let's make five. it more complicated. Do it like a PPR league. Yes, <laughs> I love that. Let's let's uh, include decimal points. Nine eight zero agrees. It should count. Seven zero four says no assist, and then seven zero four a different number said Ernie has to try to keep Ch- uh, Shaq and Chuck from getting in too much trouble. Ernie, that not only is Ernie Johnson objectively good without those guys, <laughs> the fact that he has to control all of the chaos that comes from both of them, it makes yeah, him. Yeah, when the you goat. said that, it made me laugh about that viral clip that they had the other day. Well, they'll get legitimate fights too, but I didn't even see the viral clip. Yeah, I, there's so many. I'll tell you about it after the show. Okay, all right, and with that, the show will end because <laughs> I want to go hear what Wes is talking about. Stay tuned on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. It's the Kyle Bailey Show alongside Smoke Ludwig coming up next.